Amen. Wow. I don't know if you guys feel it, but I feel the, the nearness of the Lord tonight. And a uh, little secret about me, I start to cry when he's near me. So I'm just going to go for it. I was going to teach a little bit tonight, but I'm probably going to preach slash teach slash tell stories because I want to stay where the anointing's at tonight. I, uh, I'm going to talk tonight about us being Jesus's kind of people because I believe Jesus is here. He's walking with us and he's telling us the kind of people that we're to be. And I think he's really proud of what's happening here at Riverhouse. I think we put a smile on his face. And he's also extending himself into us tonight. He's taking us deeper into his own heart of the kind of people that we're going to be for the glory of God. Amen. So I kept getting a picture tonight in my spirit of what I think he's doing I think he's building a house of the Lord. It's a river house. Come on. I remember when I was a kid, I, I was building houses with my dad. And we would frame these walls. And we would stand the walls. And we put these walls in place. And as we put all the walls in place, there was a very important step that we would have to do before we'd go forward. And it was called plumb and line. Plumb and line. Plumb means the wall has to be perfectly plumb. And line means the wall has to be perfectly straight. And if you don't plumb and line the walls, bad things happen. I think Jesus wants to plumb and line us tonight. He wants to plumb and line my heart in your heart. He wants to plumb and line our families, our marriages. He wants to plumb and line our house churches and our communities because he's building a house for his glory. And there's important steps coming, but it's not time for a roof or a floor yet. He wants to plumb and line us tonight. So that we don't deal with problems later, like windows that don't shut, doors that don't close, those kind of problems. Amen? So if you receive that, if you're leaning into being plumbed in line tonight, just say, yeah, do it, Lord. Tonight, two things the Lord put on my heart as I've been stewarding this word for about two weeks. And I'm ready to have this baby. <laughs> I just offended half the mothers in the room. <laughs> you mothers are amazing. How do you do it? Nine months carrying a baby? I can't carry a word for two weeks. Oh, man. There's two things that the Lord wants to draw our attention to. The first one is being a welcoming people. Being a welcoming people. And the second thing, very connected, is being people who don't judge each other. God's calling us to be a welcoming people. <laughs> Jesus' heart is so welcoming. There's room for every one of us at the table. Nobody's turned away in Jesus' table. Why? Because his heart's so welcoming. And Jesus has this amazing ability to stand for truth and conviction and not judge the people around him. How does he do this? I don't know. But he wants to disciple us to do it with him. Amen. So, Lord, we say, teach us your ways. Teach us your ways, God, so we can walk like you walked. 
on this earth so you can live, we can live in love like you lived and loved on this earth. Teach us your ways tonight, God. I love, I love the unfolding ecclesia that's here. We are people here that are learning how to minister to the heart of God. This Levitical priestly call of ministering first to the heart of Jesus, I call this being people of his face. When we come to his face, we see him face to face. We behold his glory. We behold his love, and he welcomes us in to his very heart. When I look at Jesus face to face, I remember how welcoming he is to me. He welcomes me right into the table he sets for me. He welcomes me right into his heart. He welcomes me right into his family. His family is the Trinity. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, they're the family of God. And Jesus welcomes you and I right into his family. We are people of his face, River House. If you're not a person of his face, I want to encourage you to become one. Because we become what we behold. If we behold him, we'll become like him. If we behold his welcoming self, we'll become welcoming ourselves. We become like Jesus when we behold him. But we're not just people of Jesus' face. When we zoom out, we see that Jesus has a body. And Jesus also has friends. There's people around Jesus. Jesus always has people around him. Why is this? Because he's so welcoming. He's so welcoming. People stick to Jesus because he's so welcoming. We're people of his face, but we're also people of his friends. And he's asking us tonight, Riverhouse. Will you become people who welcome his friends? Will you become people who see him face to face but are changed in the interaction of beholding and become people who welcome his friends? There's a lot of people coming our way, River House. There's a lot more coming. And some of them look a little bit like you and I. And some of them don't look like you and I at all. And the question Jesus has for us is, will we welcome them? Will we be people who welcome his friends? The people that look like us and the people that don't look like us. I reject being any kind of community other than the community that Jesus wants us to be. I reject being any kind of marriage other than the marriage that Jesus says I'm supposed to be in. I reject being any kind of community or church other than the one Jesus says that's who I have you to be. He's calling us to be welcoming to his friends. This word welcoming in Mark 9, 36, Jesus says this. He says, he took a little child whom he placed among them. Taking the child in his arms, he said to them, whoever welcomes, say welcome. One of these little children in my name welcomes me. And whoever welcomes me does not welcome me, but the one who sent me. Jesus takes a child. In those days, children were not celebrated like they were today. Children are at the bottom of the social ladder in their culture. Jesus is saying, when you take a child and you welcome him, you're actually welcoming me. And you're welcoming the Father who sent me. Do you see that? We welcome Jesus into our life by welcoming the people that are his friends. 
wow, what kind of welcoming people are we going to become? You know, some of us were deeply wounded in life because our parents didn't know how to welcome us in our families. Some of us still bear the scars of not having parents welcome us into this world. Some of us bear scars from churches or from, from coaches or from parents or people in our story that didn't know how to welcome us. Listen, you were designed to be welcomed. You were designed to be in community and you were designed to be welcomed. It's the heart of Jesus in us that longs to be welcomed. Jesus wants to multiply his heart in us tonight. He wants us to build families and marriages and communities and house churches and workplaces where people are welcomed. Where people are welcomed. But we got to catch it. This word welcome. Dekomai. That's the one. It means this. Listen, it's really good. To take with the hand. I always think of like when you're, you ever have that awkward moment when you're getting onto a boat? And it's kind of like you're going from a dock, which is sturdy, to a boat, which is like wobbly. And there's usually somebody there that's like taking you by the hand. And you, and you step from one thing into another. And it's like you've been received. You've been welcomed. To take by the hand. God's bringing people for you to take by the hand. You're going to take some people by the hand in this life. It also means to receive or to grant access to. To receive into one's family. To receive favorably. To give ear to and to embrace. Wow. This is what Jesus does for us. He takes us by the hand. He says, come on. Come on, Justin. It's okay. I know you're scared. Come on. I got you. He welcomes me into his family. This is what he does when we give our life to him. He welcomes us. Jesus is looking for a welcoming family in Boise, Idaho. He's looking at this church and he's saying, will you welcome Will you be people that take him by the hand? Will you not only be people of his face, but will you let his face transform your inner person to where now you actually carry the welcoming spirit of Jesus into this world? Wow. Guardedness. Guardedness is the opposite of welcoming. It's what protects me. I grew up with a lot of guardedness. Divorced family, you pick up a few scars. One of the things I picked up was guardedness. When we're guarded, we're self-protecting our heart, meaning we're not making room to receive anything or anyone in there. We protect ourselves from pain or the threat of pain. But Jesus is calling us out of guardedness to be the welcoming people he's called us to be. Amen? So here's how we become a welcoming person. By opening space in our hearts. And we invite others in to walk with us. This is so powerful for our children. Mom and dad, when we create a spot inside our heart and that child knows, you have a spot in my heart. Something of a powerful bond builds between parents and child. <clears throat> when we have a welcome spirit in our marriage, it builds deep bonding and connection between husband and wife. To welcome requires paying attention and being present to someone. Paying attention. Husbands, wives, 
I want to invite you to pay attention to your spouse. Welcome them in. Create a place for them to land inside your heart. And watch what happens. Watch what Jesus builds in you as you welcome that other person in your heart. Amen, parents? All right. So we welcome you, Holy Spirit. Boy, talk about the first and most important person to welcome is God. You know, there's a scripture in the Gospels that talks about Jesus wasn't welcomed in that city. And not many miracles were done. It's a picture of the Western church today in so many cases. Is Jesus welcome here? Is Jesus welcome here? Is Jesus welcome here? If Jesus is welcome here, eventually he'll be welcome here. Because we just cultivate in here what we manifest out here. So if Jesus is welcome here, we create a place for Jesus here. Pretty soon, our relationships start to see the manifestation of the kingdom of God. Jesus manifesting himself around us. Amen? So Holy Spirit, we welcome you here inside of us. We ask you to influence us. We make room for you to come and be with us and disciple us and convict us so that we can be welcoming and bringing the manifestation of the kingdom of God around us. Amen. That's good. I like that. Wow. Jesus was a master at this. He was a master at welcoming people. Zacchaeus in Luke 19. Zacchaeus is kind of off the grid a little bit. And Jesus is like, hey, I'm going to your house today. The crazy thing about Zacchaeus is he was not high up the social ladder. He was a tax farmer. He was probably one of the most judged and unlike people of his day. Literally cheating his fellow citizens out of taxes in many cases. How did Jesus welcome the guy that people were mad at? He didn't judge. He didn't judge Zacchaeus. That's what fueled his ability to love Zacchaeus. I'll finish with this. Romans 15, 7. Therefore, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. As we've been welcomed by Christ, we're to welcome others. Henry Nouwen says, hospitality means primarily the creation of free space where the stranger can enter and become a friend instead of an enemy. Hospitality is not to change people, but to offer them space where change can take place. It's not to bring men and women over to our side but to offer freedom not disturbed by dividing lines. Our world is becoming increasingly unwelcoming. Have you noticed? One of you has noticed. But we have such an opportunity to be the people God's called us to be, to welcome God into our lives and to let his face change us to be the welcoming presence in our city. Amen? Amen. The second thing, part B. We're on to part B now. It's good to be in part B. Is Jesus is asking us, will you be and will you welcome my friends? Will you welcome my friends? Jesus wants to bring a whole lot of people into our lives. And we're going to be challenged. We're going to be challenged to be welcoming and we're going to be challenged to not judge. So one of the things that keeps us from being a welcoming people is judging other people. So part two is actually how do we get around judging other people? How do we do that? Matthew 7 directs us. 
Let me just set up the context for this. The Sermon on the Mount, in chapter 5, Jesus is focused his teaching on the distinction between the world and the kingdom, particularly warning against the corrupt doctrines and opinions of the scribes and Pharisees. In chapter 6, Jesus focuses his teaching on the interior life, attitudes of prayer, fasting, giving, materialism, anxiety, etc. He warns his disciples against hypocrisy as it relates to giving, prayer, and fasting. In this passage, Matthew 7 moves us into how we think and treat others in reference to their faults, our tendency to take God's position as judge, and where we are to focus our energies, which is our own faults before God. So here we go, Matthew 7, 1 through 5. Do not judge, or you too will be judged. For in the same way you judge others, you will be judged, and with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye, when all the time there's a plank in your own eye? You hypocrite. First take the plank out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly, say clearly, to remove the speck from your brother's eye. Wow, some really good stuff there. If you judge, you will be judged. How many of you have experienced that very thing? How many of you have, have judged somebody for something and then had the boomerang effect come around and hit you in the back of the head? I, I, I've had that experience a few times, more times than I want to share. Um, I was a young leader in church once. I was, one day I was, a long time ago, I was the young guy. And um, now I'm the old guy in the room. Um, but I was the young guy. And as the young guy, you always think you know how to do things better. It's just part of being the young guy. And so I was the young guy, and I thought I knew how to do things better. I thought there was better ways forward. And I judged. I, I judged some of the leaders that I, was, that I was serving under. Do you know it was about six years later? I heard almost verbatim the same things said about me as a leader that I said about those leaders. Judge, and you will be judged. The boomerang effect. It's as though when we judge, we release something into the spirit realm that comes around and whacks us from behind. Judge, and you will be judged. The other thing this points out is when we judge, it affects what we see in people. Man, this one's really good. It's going to get good in here in a minute. Hang, Hang tight. When we judge, our vision starts to focus on the faults. And pretty soon, guess what? All we see is the faults. All we see is the faults. I've, I've judged people before, and the Lord's confronted me. And one of the ways he confronted me was because I kind of went dark on that person. Like, it was just all bad. And it was like, whoa, I'm dark. This, this is not good. What's going on here? I was like, oh, yeah, you've judged. Your eyes are naturally drawn to see the things that are their faults. In fact, you can't even see their good parts anymore. This is what happens when we judge. I know this. I'm married. I've, I've, I've been judged and I've judged in my marriage. <laughs> Why is it so easy for me to see the flaws in my spouse? You ever notice that? You ever notice when you're in an argument or a disagreement with your spouse? And you're talking about, you're trying to like own your part, but man, all you can see is like all the things they farmed it on. They totally farmed it on all these areas. And it's really, it's really easy to like 
point by point point it out. Anybody else in the room honest like me? Yeah, it's really easy to see the speck in my wife's eye when I've got a plank in my own. When we judge, it changes the way we see others. Now, I know what you're thinking right now. You're probably thinking, yeah, but isn't there a place for healthy judgment? Yes, there is. Let's talk about that real quick. There's a healthy judging that we need to make as people. We need to be able to have deeply held convictions, beliefs, things that we stand on to be true. This, this is a posture of judgment. For example, Proverbs 3.21 says, My son, don't let wisdom and understanding out of your sight. Preserve sound judgment and discretion. In Acts 15, James, who many believe was a, a leader or pastor in that church in Jerusalem, said, It is my judgment, therefore we should not make it difficult for the Gentiles. We are to be people of judgment. We are to be people who have sound judgment inside of us. Amen? What Jesus is confronting is not being a person of sound judgment. He's saying pointing your judgment at people and looking down on them. This is what he's saying. This doesn't work. And Jesus knows why this doesn't work. Because what this does when we judge our brother, our sister, our wife, our children, is we are breaking down the very agape community that Jesus is building. Jesus knows this. He's really good at building agape communities. So, for example, if I have a sound judgment inside of me, we're not quite there yet. If I have a sound judgment inside of me about the sanctity of life, that every human that occupies time and space is valuable in God's sight, that sound judgment I have inside of me, right? To judge another person would be, how do I think about, talk about, and relate to people who see it differently than I do? Do I look down on them? Do I think of myself as superior to them? Do I withhold my love from them? Do I withhold my best from them? People who differ from me? How do I relate to people who've made choices that don't align with my beliefs? This is what Jesus is saying. Don't do that. Don't do that. Don't take your beliefs and convictions and look down on your brother and sister. That's what he's saying gets us in trouble. Gets us in trouble because it breaks down the very community he's building He's building a community where love rules, not fear. He's building agape communities in your heart and in your home and in mine. And judging each other actually tears those down. It actually hurts us. How many of you have been hurt by the judgments of other people? As followers of Jesus, we're building the agape community in here with the Lord. The Lord welcomes us into himself who is a community. And then face to face, we begin to build community with the Lord. The things around here that we do to try to help that, like prayer sets, house churches, Sunday services, those are in addition to your private life in the word, in prayer, in worship to build the agape community in here. You're building agape community. Marriages are agape communities where love rules and fear does not. Families are agape communities. House churches are agape communities. And the Lord's saying, follow the way of the master. Follow me. Let me show you how to build those and not judge your brother and sister. 
because you're tearing down the very thing I'm building. I don't know if you've noticed, but we live in a judgy world. Never seen as much judging each other in my lifetime. Openly. Slandering. Openly. Talking bad about people. Openly. Trashing people. Whoa. People. Romans 12.2 says, do not be conformed to this world. The world's not our pattern. The world's not our example. But be transformed by the renewing of your mind. God wants to renew our mind tonight. All right, so how judging others breaks down community. Are you ready? Here we go. Number one, it elevates me to play the judge role. This is why it tears down community. It elevates me to be the judge. I was never designed to be the judge. I don't know all the facts. I don't know all the motives. I don't know all the things behind the scenes that make you do what you do. God does. God's the judge. He's the one who we will give an account to for everything we've done in this life. We will stand before a judge one day and give an account for our lives. But we are not the judge. In fact, we're terrible judges because we're so limited in what we see and know about people. Number two, it puts a wall between me and the other person. People's faults are their issue. They're between them and God. Judging people as a habit makes their faults an issue between me and them. This is a fatal flaw to community. Don't make people's issues an issue between you and them. Jesus didn't do this. He actually didn't do this. Jesus built bridges, not walls. He built bridges of trust. He had lots of opportunities, man. Lepers and lame and blind and adulterers and all kinds of people. People with problems, people with issues, people not at the top of the social hierarchy in his day. And you know what? He didn't make their faults a thing between him and them. It's incredible. How did he do that? Number three, spiritual pride sets in as I see myself as better than others. This is dangerous. Spiritual pride blinds me to my own sin and brokenness. This is one that the church loves. We love to have spiritual pride. But we fall in the pharisaical spirit when we do. We partner with the same spirit that motivated the Pharisees. Remember what the Pharisees said? They said, Lord, thank you I'm not like these. Thank you, I'm not like those pathetic people over there. Ew. And yet I've been that guy. Come on, that isn't the church that Jesus has called us to be. That's not, that's not who he's called us to be, guys. That's not going to bring the hope of the world. That sounds like the world. Number four, it creates a culture of hiding. Culture of hiding. People sense they aren't safe when judging's happening. They're not safe to bring their problems out into the open, which is where our problems belong. Instead, our communities, instead of our communities being safe places of growth and healing, People go into hiding. This is what happens in our families. When kids hear mom and dad judging, kids get the clue very early on. Oh, 
They're talking about everybody's faults. This probably isn't a safe place for my faults. This is what happens in our, our marriages when we're judging each other. Our families, when we're, when we're talking about people's faults openly, our kids get the clue. Our kids are not dumb. They're smart. They're survivors. They learn very quickly who's safe and who's not safe. And it's not because we're telling them, I'm safe. That doesn't work. It's helpful, but it doesn't work. Kids figure it out. We want our families to be places of openness, of healing, of life. You can be a human in this family. You can be loved. You can be accepted even in your faults. It's what our marriages need, guys. Wow. Number five, we don't build genuine connections with others. Judgy people don't build deep relationships. Nobody wants to be close to somebody who's judging them. Number six, it lets me out of my obligation to love and serve you. This is probably the most devastating one. If I judge you, I'm off the hook to have to love and serve you. I, I don't actually have to practice agape anymore. I get, to, I get to feel fully justified to keep you way out there at a distance. This is not the type of communities Jesus built. Jesus had people with lots of faults in front of him. And he didn't judge them. And therefore, he was right there meeting them right where they were, loving them and serving them. Laying his life down for them. It lets us off the hook. I won't really engage or invest if I'm judging. I'll feel fully free to just keep you at a distance and judge you and not serve you. Man, I, I can remember so many couples I'd sit with and I'd listen to why they were struggling and so many times, what I would hear was, there's just like a, it's just something's really off in this ecosystem. And this question would come up in my brain, my spirit man. What, when did you start judging each other? And how did you start withholding from each other? When did you start? What happened? Was it when he told you he was struggling with purity issues that you shut him off from all affection? You judged him and completely shut him off and withheld everything from him? Was it then? Or was it when she overspent that time and felt bad and came and told you and now you, you labeled her and judged her and now you're micromanaging her spending and feeling fully justified? Like, like when did the judgment happen that you stopped, started withholding from her, from each other. Our judgments of each other block love from flowing. But the good news is, is when we break free of judgments, guess what starts flowing again? Love. Really quickly. Really quickly, love starts dominating the ecosystem again. All right. We're bringing it home here. We've got some couples in the room whose love is being suffocated. And I suspect the Lord wants to do a work in some of us tonight. In fact, I, I think there's a fair amount of people in the room tonight that have been judged. You've both judged and been judged. And in worship tonight, I saw the Lord bringing the equivalent of what I, was like a fire hose 
and like washing us. Washing things that have been said, things that have been spoken over you, over me. Before we go there, I just want to prepare your heart that the Lord's here to minister to us. Before we do, I want to go through an exercise real quick, self-assessment exercise. Let's check and see how judgy we are. Are you up for it? All right, here we go. Let's direct our attention to the screen. I want you to answer these not out loud. Say not out loud. <laughs> okay, this will be very bad for me. Okay. Answer these quietly in your brain with the first word that comes to mind as you fill in the blank. Children are what? Parents are. Dog crazy people are. There's dog people, then there's like the next level dog people. You know what I mean? I'm having fun with you. Men are. Careful, ladies, keep that one quiet. Okay. Women are. People who don't use their blinkers while driving are. You know who you are. There's a special place in hell for people who, no, just kidding. I'm just kidding. Thin people are. Heavier people are. Stoic people are. Emotional people are. Prophetic people are. Rule followers are. Teenagers are. Millennials are. Gen Zers are. Baby boomers are. Addicts are. Prisoners are. Homeless people are. LGBTQ people are. Conservatives are. Liberals are. Church leaders are. Atheists are. Wealthy people are. Lower income people are. Jesus followers are. How you doing out there? Any conviction out there? Not again, again, not what you believe to be true or hold as sound judgment, but maybe about how we Look down on people who are not like us. This is the amazing thing about Jesus. He didn't categorize or label people. He saw them all as sons and daughters. Sons and daughters in need of a kingdom a kingdom from another realm, a kingdom of hope, a kingdom of life, a kingdom of love and of power. This is how Jesus did it. He didn't allow the labels and the categories of the day to cause him to judge them. He saw through and saw who they really were. Their true identity was a son or a daughter. And he was able to love and serve them because of it. People like you and people like me. This is what Jesus wants to disciple us in, guys. This is what Jesus wants us to look like. 
You know, we have an election coming up next year. Everybody's nervous right now. Relax. What will our response look like? What will God see from our community? Will it make him smile? Will it make him proud? Will it look like what the world does? Man, I just want to say, if it looks, if our response looks like the world's response, I think we're off track. He's calling us higher to be people of truth and also of love. Who don't judge people who are not like us because we'll never influence people who are not like us. We'll never serve people who are not like us if we do. This is what Jesus wants to disciple us in, guys. He's saying, will you follow me? Will you follow me into this narrow road of loving extravagantly and not judging your brother? What if we let go of judging people and brought the best version of ourselves to this region? What would it look like in 10 years? What if we just saw people as sons and daughters with pain and brokenness just like the rest of us? What would that do? Who would we become? What would our families look like? Wow. How is it that Jesus was the most holy man that ever walked this earth and also called a friend of sinners? So crazy. Only God can teach us how to do that. Only God can disciple us in Riverhouse. Tonight he's saying, come follow me. Come follow me. Come follow me into this place that you haven't known. I haven't known. I'd be lying if I told you that I know how to do this. I don't. But I'm hearing a call to follow him. It's a call to follow him. It's the same call that I'm broadcasting right now to you. Will you follow him? Will you allow yourself to be apprenticed by this master rabbi who did it 2,000 years ago and he can still do it today. And what will our lives become if we do? Change this region for his glory. If we become the welcoming people that welcome the people on his heart and we lose our judgment but we still retain truth, conviction, but we don't let it come between the people on his heart. This is what the Lord's inviting us into. Tonight he's saying, come and follow me. I'll show you how to do it. Let me disciple you. Let me disciple you. Amen. The Lord said during worship tonight to open the altars that the Lord wants to meet us. The Lord wants to meet us. So I just want to invite you to stand. There's a few things I'll call out. The first one is if you want to be discipled by Jesus, into this narrow way. He's inviting you to come forward. Come forward and be discipled into the narrow way of losing judgment of others, of being a welcoming place for his people. The next thing he said is, if you've got guardedness going on, the Lord's here to break off guardedness tonight.
stuff happens in life, pain happens, but there's, there's gardeness and the Lord saying, bring your gardeness and lay it at my feet and I'll heal that part of your heart. And the third thing I, I saw during worship was that some people have judged us. We've been judged. And it's like sludge that's remained on us. And the Lord's saying, I'm gonna, I'm gonna wash the sludge off. I'm gonna wash words and categories and things that have been spoken over your lives. Because any word or category or label that's not from the Father doesn't belong on you. And the Lord's saying, come forward. I'm going to wash you. I'm going to wash you tonight. I also saw there were married couples that you need to come to the altars. And you need to forgive each other for judging each other. You need to come clean. You need to, you need to own it. You need to step into it. And let the Lord break you free of judgments toward each other. He wants to build an agape community through you, through me. The altars are open. Lord, we just ask you tonight to come and build in us the agape community you died for. Lord, we say nothing less will do. And we ask you, Holy Spirit, to come and release yourself in us tonight. Come and brood over us. We ask you, Holy Spirit, come and wash the sludge off of us tonight. Come and wash us, we pray in Jesus' name. Come forward if you want to be discipled by Jesus. He's here. He's releasing grace. There's an unlocking of grace tonight in the house. Don't miss it. I love you. You're dismissed in Jesus' name. We're going to keep the altars open. If you would just go out in the lobby and talk and fellowship, that would be great. There's a work of grace the Lord wants to do in here. Thank you, God. Thank you, God.